Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. As uh, Pastor Kath mentioned, we have been away for a couple of weeks. We had a great time away, but I am ready to come back today and to share the Word of God. And I want to share a message that I've simply entitled, The Language of Love. Turn to the person next to you and say, The Language of Love in a sexy voice. Or not. You know, Gary Chapman wrote a book many years ago called The Five Love Languages. I'm sure many of you have seen it, possibly even read it. But just to give you a quick recap, it highlights the five basic love language of human beings, both male and female, and they are words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving of gifts, quality time, and of course, physical touch. That's what that was. And I think about how true that is for our family. My wife, Cass, she's an incredible woman and her main love language, and let's be honest, there's usually more than one, but her main love language would definitely, absolutely 100% be acts of service. She is a definite service girl. She'll do anything for anyone. She's an amazing mum. She's an amazing wife. I just spent two days in Tasmania. We went and uh, spent some time with the church there. And of course, prior to going, guess what? Kath booked my tickets. Kath checked me in. Kath packed my bag. She's amazing. It's not that I'm useless. At least I don't think I am. (laughs) Maybe I am. I'm not sure. I don't think I am. But she's just incredible. I mean, I don't have to think about too much when it comes to getting stuff done. She's amazing. And as a result of her love language, I am definitely the beneficiary of the love language that she brings to the equation. My love language is a little bit different. My love language, again, there is many. I've got a lot of love to give, but if I have to highlight one of them, I would say that my main love language would be words of affirmation. I'm a words guy. And that means that uh, for me, every night before we go to bed, I will tell my wife, I love her. (laughs) I love her. When I'm away for any period of time, even when I was in Tasmania, I I, I will ring her or message her. I'll always be desiring to talk to her. Why? Because I'm a words of affirmation person. I want to let her know just how much I appreciate her. And so as a result of my love language, she's the beneficiary of that. Is that fair to say? So discovering our love languages is very important because it helps our partners and people in our world know how we love and how we love to be loved. And as good as that is, I would say it's only half the value of the exercise. The equally important part of the exercise is not only to discover your love language, but to discover the love languages of those that are in your world. Because without discovering the love language of those in your world, it can become very problematic. Because we can start loving everyone else according to the way that we love and we want to be loved. And there is the problem. You know, as much as I love what Kath brings to the equation, re her service of me and to me and our family, if that's all it is, 
pretty soon the relationship will be more of a servant than of a wife. So she can be loving me and yet distance can be being created because she's loving me according to the way she wants to be loved. Therein lies a problem. Likewise, if I just love Kath the way I like to be loved, and that is sit around and talk about deep things, meaningful things, shallow things, uh, sweet nothing things, Kath's gonna get really frustrated and say, come on, that's great, I love you too, yes, 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 but come on, let's do something. (laughs) The bathroom needs cleaning. When I was away yesterday, I came home and the house smelt like Dettol. I mean, (laughs) Kath had definitely gone through top to bottom cleaning the house. She just loves it. But can you see the problem if we just love each other according to the way we want to be loved? I remember many years ago, I think I've told this story a few times before, but me, Pete and Baz, my brothers, got together one Christmas, thought we're going to buy Mum the best present ever. And we bought her a popcorn machine. And we could not wait for her to open this popcorn machine. And surprise, surprise, to our shock and horror, she opened it and burst into tears. We thought, wow, guys, we've really done it. We have moved her. We misread the moment. We didn't realise she was upset. We thought she was just overcome with joy, but no, she was mad. Who would have thought that a mum didn't want a popcorn machine for Christmas? Shock horror. But it highlights the point that I'm trying to make. If we are going to love people, we need to know their love language and so give their love language accordingly. And so I know the many times that Cass had to go away with ministry trips or or work opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. I always say to our kids, even when they were young, I say, I want this house to be spotless when mum comes back. Because for this house to be a tip when she comes back, for dishes to be in the sink and for uh, things to be dirty, it's just, it's just gonna set the reunion on a downward spiral. And so we've got to love the people in our world according to the way they want to be loved. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Is this helpful advice for all the relationships that are out there? And if this is a newsflash to you, I would say spend the time finding out what the people in your world's love language is and then give that love language accordingly. Having said all that, it brings me to my main thought this morning and that is that God has a love language. And if I was to ask you, what is God's love language? I'm sure the answers would be many and varied and possibly all of them would be true. Some of you might say worship and I think that's a great thought. Some might say communication and talking, words of affirmation. Yes, and that would be true. You works of service, people might say, God loves service. Yes. But to me, if I had the opportunity to put into uh, God's love language into one word, It would simply be, you're ready for it, obedience. How do we know that God's love language is obedience? We know that God's love language is obedience because Jesus Himself tells us that. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. See, God's love language is obedience. And our relationship with God will be as as healthy as our obedience to Him is. 
If I was to ask who wants to have a healthy relationship with God, who wants to go deeper in their understanding of who God is in 2023, most hands in this room would go up, I'm sure. But in order for that to be a reality, we have to express the language of love that God wants and that is obedience. Are you with me this morning? You can't say you love God and then do your own thing and expect Him to be happy. It always amazes me, probably the number one question I get from Christians and non-Christians alike is this, if God is a God of love, why do bad things happen? Now the answer to that question is many and varied, but as as an entry level answer, I would say it's pretty obvious that when you ignore everything God says, We live in the consequence of our own decisions. And as a result of living in the consequence of our own decisions and our own strength and our own power and our own wisdom, the world is what it is today. Because for the most time, we are just ignoring God and doing what it is that we wanna do. And then we blame Him for the way things are turning out. And so we have to embrace what He wants. A healthy, mature relationships don't work like that. Healthy, mature relationships don't work with us doing whatever we want to do and expect our relationship to be healthy. I've already mentioned about Kath. If I just love her according to the way I want to be loved or she just loves me according to the way she wants to be loved, there will be problems in the marriage. And so we have to cross over and understand and implement the languages of those in our world. And that is true for the Lord as well. How healthy would a family be if you hardly ever came home? How healthy would a family be if you only came home when you wanted something? How healthy would a family be if you only spoke to someone when you wanted something? Now, Now, can we just put Christianity to one side? Just think about your own family. What home or family would be healthy if those three things were in operation? We only come home when we want to. We only come home when we want something. We only speak to the people when we want something. I know I speak on behalf of every mum in this room. They don't want their kids just to come home. No mum or dad likes to be treated as a taxi or a cafeteria. (laughs) They want a little bit something more from you. See, I know some things, I've learned some things. (laughs) And so it is true when it comes to our relationship with God. Many people treat God in the same way. They go to church if and when they want. They don't tithe, they don't serve, they don't do anything that God asks of us, they only do what they want to do and they wonder why the relationship is strained. strained. Can I just say this, that God's love is unconditional in that He loves us. But being a member of God's family has conditions. So God loves us unconditionally, but being a member of God's family has conditions. Let me say it this way, to be a member of God's household has rights and responsibilities. In our home, we taught our kids from a very early age that there are things called rainbow rights and rainbow responsibilities. And we said to our kids, kids, you have fridge rights. You can help yourself to whatever is in the fridge. That's a right you have. You are part of our families. You are sons and daughters of Tony and Kath Rainbow. And as a result, you have the right to go to that fridge. But you also have responsibilities. 
You not only have fridge rights, you have dishes responsibilities. You have bin responsibilities. Oh, you love me. I still love them. But I love them. But if the bins aren't taken out, the house will stink. Does this make sense? So we have rights as a believer and we have responsibilities. And so we have rights to be able to enter the throne room of God with great confidence, boldness because of what Jesus did. That's a right we have. But we also have responsibilities. And the sign of immaturity is when we just pick up our rights without picking up our responsibilities. As mature believers, we've got to understand that we have rights and responsibilities and we need to live in both. Today, I want to have a fresh look at obedience and hopefully it won't be a heavy thing because I believe obedience done well is a freeing thing. And the reason I know that, and Jesus is the best model of obedience. But let's start with Jesus, just to set the tone. Jesus is the best model of obedience. Jesus was an authority to speak about obedience because He lived in it. In John 5 verse 19, Jesus said, Jesus gave them the answer, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus lived in incredible freedom. He came to set us free. But His authority to do that came from being under authority. If you want authority, you've got to be under authority. And Jesus modelled what true obedience looked like to us. Not only is Jesus the best model of obedience, but love is the best motivator of obedience. See, the battle in this area is not won through trying harder, as Pastor Kath mentioned just a minute ago, but it's through loving more. And how do you you, um, obey without falling into legalism? That's a question people often ask. And I'd say the answer is love. Love. Just as Jesus' love for the Father was expressed in His obedience, how do we know Jesus loved the Father? Because He obeyed the Father. So too our love for Jesus is expressed in our obedience of what He's asking us to do. In John 14, verse 31, I will not say much more now, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but He comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Who wants to be more like Jesus? It means doing more of what Jesus did. And what Jesus did is exactly what the Father said. John 15, verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Is this helpful this morning? Just to take this a bit further, there's many examples of obedience and disobedience in the Bible. And I want to look at one of them this morning. And I want to look at the purpose and the power of obedience. And so turn with me, if you will, look on the screens to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says this, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around Him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by fishermen. They were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little far from shore. There he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
Jesus was using the water as an amplification system in order to be heard. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who we know as Peter, put into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners into the boat, uh, in another boat, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch that they had taken. And so were John and James, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, we will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats to the shore, left everything and followed him. A few thoughts about obedience this morning that will hopefully inspire, motivate and help us to embrace this truth today. The first one would simply be this, from this passage of Scripture, that obedience demonstrates our faith and trust in God. See, we know Peter to be an incredible man of faith. We know Peter to be one of the founding fathers of the early church. In actual fact, it was Jesus said, on you, Peter, I will build my church. And the reason we sing Peter's praise is not because of his intentions, not because of his words, but because of his obedience. It's because of what he did. His faith and his love for God was seen in what he did. We see from this story that Jesus gets into Simon's boat. And it's interesting, it's like like a, a metaphor, although it's something that's actually happened. It's much like what Jesus does to us. He comes into our life just as he came into Peter's boat. And when Jesus comes into our life, that's where the journey begins. And with Jesus standing in Peter's boat, Jesus asks something of him. He speaks to the people, but then he speaks to Peter. You know, this morning, I know I'm speaking to a group of people, but then I also know I'm speaking to individuals. And there are some things that are for all of us and there are some things that are only for us. And so Jesus is pouring his heart out and he's sharing to the multitudes and then he looks at Peter. And it's easier to respond when Jesus is speaking to the people rather than when Jesus is speaking to you. As I'm talking now, I'm not signaling anyone out, but if I I identify someone, all of a sudden that person would just go. (laughs) And so here's Jesus in Peter's boat. He's finished speaking to the people. Now he wants to speak to Peter. And he asks something of Peter. He says, let's go out into the deep. Thanks for the use of the boat. Made to a great stage, great amplification. But now we're going to do some fishing. Jesus is not a fisherman. As best we know and understand, he was a carpenter. Peter was a fisherman. Peter understands fishing far better than Jesus. Peter knows the times, the tides, the seasons, the time of day that you should or shouldn't go fishing. He also knows I've just cleaned my nets. And Peter struggles with what is being asked of him. And that's a good thing to know. 
It's good to know that the fathers of our faith struggled with what was being asked of them and yet they responded anyway. And if someone's struggling with what God is asking, but eventually puts that into practice, we need to take stock of that as an example for us. And so Jesus asks Peter to go out of the deep and throw your clean, freshly washed nets back into the water at the wrong time of day. And Peter has a dilemma. Do I obey or do I ignore? And that dilemma is my dilemma every day of my life. And that dilemma is the dilemma of every believer every day of your life. Will I obey or will I ignore? Will I obey? Will I ignore? You see, true obedience is a battle. Why? Because there's a clash of wills. Will I have my way or will I have God's way? And that is a choice that you and I have to make on a daily basis. Back in the day when I was a young kid growing up in the church, we used to call that dying daily. You have to die daily to your wills and your wants and bring them under submission to the will of God. Much like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane when He was sweating drops of blood and He could have called 12,000 legions of angels to help Him out. And yet He said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was clearly struggling in that moment and yet He surrenders His will to the will of the Father. Who wants to be more like Jesus? Well, to be more like Jesus, we just have to surrender our will to the will of the Father. And so Peter's got this dilemma. Do I, don't I? Do I, don't I? Looking at the people, people are watching. What do I do? And I think there's a couple of things we can learn from Peter's life that can help us in the decision that you and I have to make on a daily basis when it comes to obedience. The first thing Peter does is get real. And if you're gonna be obedient, I would say get real. He says, Lord, I just washed my nets. Lord, I don't really wanna do this. Lord, I'm a fisherman, you're not, and this is not a good time to go. Get real. Tell God everything you're thinking. Why? Because He knows what you're thinking. I I love it. We'll see it over and over again in the Scriptures. Men of God, women of God, just pouring their heart out. One of the best was David in the Psalms. It's like, my God, that that guy, David, is like, but God, he just has these amazing moments. It's like a roller coaster reading the Psalms. But he always found victory because he was real. Get real. I am aware that in 2013, inflation is going through the roof. We're sitting at seven point something percent. And that gets hard to honour the tithing principle. I get it. Tell God, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I'm struggling with this. I've got three kids and, 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 and times, life's busy. and I, I don't know if I can get to church. Tell Him. Yeah. Get real. Yeah. What you don't want to do is tell others who are in the same boat and feeling the same way and you just empower each other. Don't do that. Peter tells Jesus. Doesn't tell his disgruntled friend. If you're struggling to go to church, don't go to the person who no longer goes to church. 
They're gonna tell you don't go to church. They're gonna say you've finally seen the light. And so you gotta get real. You gotta get honest. And Peter was real and honest, I love it. He's having, and everyone's watching, everyone's on the side like. I don't know, I don't know. I love this trait about Peter. Just honest, open, vulnerable. Tell him. Whatever your struggles are, tell him. So get honest. And then secondly, I would say, be humble. It's one thing to be honest, but then you've got to shift honesty to humility. And Peter, for all his realities, and for all his honesty, and for all his ranting and raving, he comes to this conclusion. And this is what every one of us needs in order for us to be obedient. If we're gonna be obedient in 2013, become more like Jesus, we have to come to this place that Peter came to. And we have to have a, because you said so moment. Peter's like, you're kidding me. I've got to listen to the guy who knows nothing about fishing. (sighs) But because you say so. Because Peter saw Jesus more than just a carpenter. He saw Him as Master. He saw Him as Lord. He saw Him as Saviour. He saw Him as Redeemer. He saw Him as Healer. Don't limit Jesus to the current economy. Don't limit Jesus to your experiences. Don't limit Jesus to your friends' experiences. Surrender to the will of the Master. And Peter says, because you have said so. So in order for us to make the choice of obedience, you gotta be honest and you gotta be humble. And that's how we're gonna win the battle of obedience, this clash of wills. If you're at peace with God, you'll be at war with your sin. If you're at peace with your sin, you'll be at war with God. I don't know any happily married couple that's always fighting. I've just never met one. How's married life? Oh, it's amazing. We fight all the time. It's fantastic. We don't agree on anything. We don't listen to each other. It's awesome. I've never had any young couple walk down the aisle and ask that to be in their vows. This just never happened. Because we know that will never create a healthy, strong, lasting relationship. And I feel for many of us, we're at war with God because we're fighting Him on everything that He's asking yeah. of us. Yeah. We're too busy, oh, the Bible didn't really mean that. I said, really? I think it's far better to take what the Bible says yeah. than start putting all these incredible interpretations of what it really meant. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. And so obedience, number one, demonstrates our faith and trust in God. Secondly, obedience attracts the blessing of God. We see that in Peter's life. Peter obeys and guess what happens? Fish galore. Miracle of miracles, fish galore. C.S. Lewis says, obedience is the key that opens every door. Obedience opens the door to peace. When you obey, you have peace with yourself. 
you have peace with your husband, wife, children. You have peace with God. You won't always be fighting. You have joy as a result. Life will be more enjoyable and fun. See, for Kath and I, we, the goal for us to be married wasn't to stay together. That was not our goal. I hope we can stay together. I want to thrive. I want to have fun. I, I want to be romantically in love with each other all the days of our lives. And the only way that's possible is if we just keep obeying yeah. what Jesus says that you need to do in the context of marriage. Yeah. And so when you're wrong, you humble yourself, you say sorry. You take the time to find out their love language and you operate in their life. There's all these things that we can do in order to make that a reality. And it also gives you confidence. When you live in obedience, you have a confidence. Much like the confidence I have now that I use my cruise control. When I've got my cruise control set to 61 in the 60 zone and I see a policeman, I no longer panic. I have confidence. Why? Because I'm obeying the speed limit. Without that cruise control, and if I'm speeding, I'm like every one of you, if you're speeding and you see a policeman, you panic. You panic. You panic. I think it's amazing as a pastor, and every pastor I know has the same story. Every teacher has the same story. You call someone into your office and they panic. They don't have to go, oh my gosh, what have I done? When you live in obedience, you have a confidence. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me ask a question. Who wants more peace, yeah. more joy, yeah. more confidence yeah. in their life? Yeah. This is what obedience can do for yeah. each and every one of us. Yeah. I can't say that though without saying this, because this obviously is a question. What do you do when you're not seeing the blessing of God? I, I try my best when I preach to answer questions that aren't being asked, but I know they're there. I, I've never received a, a multiple fish catch like Peter did. So what do you do when you're not living in that kind of blessing? Well, I think there's a few things that we can do. What, what do you do when church isn't what it used to be? You're not getting much out of it. You're not getting much out of reading your Bible. You're not seeing the, 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 the blessing of giving financially. What do you do? Can I give you three things very quickly? that I've had to do because I don't always get my prayers answered the way I want them to be answered because it's not about my will, it's about His will. The first one is I I try to change my perspective. First thing would be just change your perspective to this. You've already been blessed. And if you never get blessed again, you're blessed enough. We've got salvation. So you've got to change your perspective first and foremost. Secondly, I'd say keep going. Don't stop reading. Don't stop attending. Don't stop tithing. Why? Because two wrongs don't make a right. If you're struggling to get something out of church, that's a problem. If your answer is, well, I won't go to church, now you've got two problems. Isn't it far better to keep doing what you know is the right thing to do? Let's go to church and I'll work on getting something out of it by inviting the right people around my world to to help me get something out of it. The answer to the Bible's boring is not to stop reading the Bible because the Bible will still be boring to you and now you're being disobedient in not reading it. You're guilty on two fronts. Two wrongs don't make a right. It's far better when you're struggling to read the Bible to go to someone and say, hey, can you help me to read the Bible in a way that I can get more out of it? And my question 
to anyone who asks me that question would be, what are you doing presently? Well, you know what, I, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm not a night person, but I leave my, uh, my, my reading till the night time and I always fall asleep. Well, maybe you should change the time. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of things we can do, but don't make the answer, I won't go. Yeah. There are many people over COVID that I, I don't go to church anymore. I don't give anymore. I don't tithe anymore. I don't read my Bible anymore. But me and God are good. I don't know that you are as good as you think you are. I don't know if that's true. And the reason I know that is because I'm a dad. And when my kids didn't do what I asked them to do, it was never good. They could kid themselves, ah, dad's fine. No, he's not. I never was, never will be. Don't ignore me and expect me to be fine. And I speak, I I think I speak on every parent here and every teacher. Johnny, be quiet. Johnny, put the ruler down. Johnny, stop. Put your phone down. Turn your phone. We're good. No, we're not good. Just do as you're told. Am I right, Mrs. Jones? Give me an amen. There we go. It's it's amazing what we put on God. It doesn't work anywhere. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You get a captain of a football team and he doesn't listen to the captain. Me and the captain, we're good. No, you're not. (laughs) Don't listen to your coach. Me Me and the coach, we're tight. Don't go to training. You're not as tight as you think you are. (laughs) So don't stop. Keep going. And the third one is do it His way. See, God has a way. And to that I'd say near enough is not good enough. And a great example of that is Cain and Abel. God wanted to sacrifice a certain way. Because the forgiveness of sins required blood, not fruit. One gave a lamb, one gave fruit. And God never received the offering of fruit because it wasn't the right way. You can't give a few dollars in the tithe and call it tithing. It's not tithing. You can't go to church whenever you want and call it commitment. It's not. Near enough is not good enough. When it comes to obeying God's Word. Thirdly, if we can get the band come up, that'd be great. Obedience draws us closer to God. After all this had happened, Peter wrestling, struggling, surrendering, obeying, getting blessed, he falls at the feet of Jesus. He falls to his knees and he says, I'm a sinner. But he falls at the feet of Jesus. He's got closer to Jesus. And as a result of that closeness, Jesus is able to say something to him that he wasn't able to say before. He says, don't be afraid. It's all good. From now on, Peter, we're not going to catch fish together. We're going to catch people. If I was to ask you, who wants to get closer with Jesus this year? I think there'd be a lot of people who want that. I think there's a lot of people who look on Instagram and see what's going on in other churches and they try and chase the presence of God to get closer to God. And so you don't have to chase anything. You've just got to surrender. Yeah, if you want the presence of God, 
If you want the closeness of Jesus, yeah. you don't have to go chasing it. Yeah. You've just got to surrender yeah. to it. Yes. The presence of God isn't something we chase. It's something we surrender to. Yeah. Peter went straight to the feet of Jesus and he got closer and closer and closer. And what I love about Peter, if you study his life, he made many mistakes after that moment. But every mistake was followed up with coming back to Jesus. You'll always find Peter coming back to Jesus. Coming back to Jesus. Not no longer doing it. Not doing it his own way. Not assuming him and God are tight. But always coming back to, coming back to, coming back to. Obedience is not only a way to worship God, it's a way we get closer to Him. Which is an interesting thought in a world where many relationships are growing apart. I've heard this way too many times in my life when it comes to other relationships. They want to see us, got a problem in the marriage and say, I love her, you know where this is going, but I'm just not in love with her. What does that mean? Uh, there's one comment that annoys me and frustrates me, it's that one. I love her, I'm just not in love with her. Well, there was a time you were in love with her. So I suggest you get back to that. I always say when it comes to a healthy marriage, what you did to get the girl is what you've got to do to keep the girl. It's amazing what girls will do to get the attention of a young man. We see it in youth every week. (laughs) So funny, they're here to worship Jesus, but they position themselves in a certain place, standing next to a certain person with a certain perfume, spend hours on their hair, hours on their makeup. Then they get married. No hair, no makeup. <laughs> Tracksuit pants. The young man, he would run around the open the door, say he loves her. They get married, and now it's a couch potato playing games, waiting for his dinner to be cooked. I love her, I'm just not in love with it. Yeah. Because you never will stay in love if you're going to do your own thing. The challenge to one of the churches in Revelation is go back to what you did at first. Come on church. For every believer in this place, I know there was a time when you'd run down the front, you'd lift your hands, you'd give, you'd come, you'd serve. And over time, it gets tiring. But Jesus didn't say, obey me in the first part of your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, come on. It's good. Who remembers the movie Chariots of Fire? Yeah. Yeah. Please tell me I'm not the oldest person here. Please tell me. <laughs> Please, there's a hand. Give me a hand. I need to see a hand. In the balcony, God bless you, God bless you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Chariots of Fire is a great story, won a number of Oscars. And it's a story of a couple of men, but one in particular, Eric Little. And he was a runner in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. And he qualified for the 100 metre sprint, but the final was to be run on a Sunday. 
And as a devout Christian, he said, I can't run on a Sunday. <laughs> this stuff moves me because we live in the privilege yeah. and the freedom of what yeah. men and women paid high price for. Yeah. And so the 100 metres came and went and he didn't participate. And he was a favourite to win. He went on to win a gold and a bronze medal in the 200 and the 400 metre races. It's pretty good. But then he went to China as a missionary. And get this, this gold medal Olympian died in a Japanese prison camp in 1945. But here's the, here's the bit I want you to get. This is what he wrote. One word stands out from all others as the key to knowing God to having peace and assurance in your life. And that word is obedience. Let me ask you this. Who wants to know God more? Who wants the peace and assurance in your life? Like Eric Little had. One word will get you there. It's obedience. Of course, all this is easier said than done. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us do what does not come easy or naturally. But when we invite Him in, He gives us the power to do what we don't find easy to do in our own strength or nature. Church, this is not about us trying harder in 2013. This is about us trusting more. Yeah. It's about us coming back and reminding ourselves why we love Jesus. And let that be the motivation. I'm not here to manipulate you. Manipulation is a problem because it doesn't last. Love is the best motivator. Love is the best motivator. And when we let love motivate our obedience, it's amazing what happens. There are many things that we never used to like doing that we actually like doing. And loving other people according to their love language becomes fun and joyful and powerful and productive. Or we can just keep doing our own thing and create fight after fight after fight. Will you stay with me this morning? Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.